We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right. It feels great to be back in. We're all refreshed after an, a much needed all-star break uh, for lots of folks. But here we are back for episode 55 of BuzzBeat Radio. Um, Hornets all of a sudden winners of three straight. So it should be some fun conversation in here today. We need to cover the GM situation. Rich Cho uh, is officially um, a dead man walking. He is no longer with the Charlotte Hornets, um, as a lot of us saw coming here. Uh, but, but it happened before the season ended, which is probably a little bit surprising. We'll discuss that again, the three game winning streak, what, what lies ahead for the Hornets um, as the season really, you know, it's the all-star break. You think, okay, now the second half starts, but no, 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 we're, we're far past halfway uh, in the regular season. So a lot to come on this episode. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the almighty baller radio network. So check out almightyballer.com for many more great podcasts out there covering uh, the large scope of the NBA. Uh, and also don't forget about our good friends at sportschannel8.com. They cover really all sports in North Carolina as good as anybody does. And like I say every episode, it's ACC basketball season. You really shouldn't be going anywhere else for your coverage of ACC basketball. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's, it's the best. Uh, lighthearted when you need it, but but serious and in-depth and great analysis when you need it, too. So check them out on Twitter, at Sports Channel, uh, the number 8 in SportsChannel8.com. Good stuff over there. All right, on that note, Richie, um, how are you, my friend? I, so wait, we haven't shared this on the show yet, have we? I, we actually got to meet the other week. Richie came to my... Prize 30th birthday party um, that my wonderful wife put on a few weeks ago. And there were like, I don't know, Richie, what, like 40, probably 35, 40 people there. Yep. And as I'm looking out like into the crowd of people there, as, as the garage door comes up and I had no idea that the party was for me, 
uh, I see the face of Richie Randall and fixated on that face immediately <laughs> when we, we embraced each other and hugged. It was it was really, truly a great buzzbeat moment. We should have a video of that, Richie. But how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Yeah, uh, it, it was definitely a good time. Travel up to see you. So now I've seen Brian in person. I've seen Spencer in person. And so we just got to get you two together. And uh, maybe yeah. all three of us can be in the same place at the same time. But uh, I just remember when that, that garage door came open, you were like, is that Richie Randall? I'm sure you've seen <laughs> pictures of me. And obviously, we Skype call together. But just to see you in person uh, is definitely different. But I, I'm doing all right. Uh, this week has been a very, very busy week, work week wise. And uh, I will I will tell the listeners that I was unable to watch these two games this week. And uh, Brian and Spencer both convinced me to record, even though I wasn't going to. But uh, I'll wing it. I'll wing it today. Well, um, no, it was it was a cool moment. Yeah. And for those that don't know, I mean, we you know, us three don't like get together and have coffee every week. I mean, we truly do this <laughs> from different places um, and make it happen and make it work. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, literally Richie and I had not met in person. I still have not met Brian in person now. Uh, it obviously doesn't affect our quality, but that was a cool moment and more to come for sure. BG, what's happening with you, man? Not much. i bummed that I had to miss, uh, the birthday party and, uh, yeah, I just had to cover the UNC state game in Raleigh that afternoon and was on <laughs> deadline for a work thing. So unfortunately not able to make the trek down from Raleigh. Uh, to the, uh, I guess the sort of like Charlotte metropolitan area, but, uh, bummed again that I missed, missed out on that, but, uh, things are good. All-star break was, was, it was a nice, nice little rest. I, uh, traveled West and visited some friends out in Denver, Colorado, uh, last week. And, um, usually don't get to do that stuff during basketball season, but state Duke and UNC were all out of town last week. Plus with the all-star break, I knew there was nothing I needed to be keeping up with so i decided to in the middle of hoop season take a little trip and a little r&r out in the rocky mountains i feel purified now so i'm happy to be back and uh it's good to be talking to you guys again that's awesome no everybody truly is refreshed it was a much needed break and i'm glad everybody got to uh kind of reset the batteries there um all right well let's jump in here uh first thing we're going to talk about is is the big news surrounding charlotte and that is you know this past week team announces really after a Adrian Wojnarowski's report um, that the Hornets would not be renewing Michael Jordan would not be renewing Rich Cho's contract after this season the team confirmed it I think what was literally like 10 minutes later um, and so Rich Cho is actually he, he's not with the team he will not be with the team for the remainder of the season I'm, I'm assuming they are going to pay him out you know his contract through the season but he's moving on uh, Buzz Peterson will take over as uh, the interim general manager for the remainder of the season. Um, just a little background for those that don't know. I'm sure most do. Buzz Peterson uh, was Michael Jordan's roommate at Chapel Hill. Um, you know, best man in the guy's wedding. The two are, are very, very close. So we'll talk about that more later. But just to throw that little nugget out there. Um, so he'll take over for the remainder of the season. Good thing he won't have the ability to make a whole lot of important decisions. Um, and then, you know, we've got names like Mitch you know, we heard that rumor over a month ago that, you know, the Hornets would be interested in approaching him about this uh, opening and this opportunity. Um, but it doesn't say that specifically for the general manager position, really uh, for the president of basketball operations or some important key role in the front office. So uh, the line in the definition of what his role would be is kind of a little bit blurry. Uh, we've heard a few other names. I'm going to try to say this one right. Gerson Rojas, uh, who is currently in the Houston Rockets basketball front office. His name was mentioned uh, by Woj as some of the Hornets would be interested in. 
Um, and then there's some, you know, people have their opinions on who might be interested. We can get into some of that later as well. But those are really the two names, Mitch Kupchak and Rojas in Woj's report, which is the one I'm going by to be accurate. Uh, the rest is speculation. So let's start there. Um, my first question, and Richie, I want to throw it to you. Are there any positives here um, of what happened with Charlotte this week? Can you find a silver lining, uh, or, or is this an, a negative, your opinion? I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of the news. Uh, I guess the silver lining is I, I kind of like the fact that they kind of got rid of Rich Cho right now, um, hoping maybe they can bring in a GM or somebody in the front office, like you said, to start – the process early. I felt like if you waited to the end of the season, you know, your draft season comes up around, you know, it, it seems like everything comes all up at you quick once when that season is over. So I don't, I don't mind the timing at all. So that, that's, that's my silver lining, but there, I, to me, there's a lot of negatives to this and you just see the dominoes in place. Uh, Buzz Peterson, his best friend, you see him sitting courtside. Uh, MJ and Buzz are really, really close. And I thought we got away from that when we hired Rich Cho. I thought Michael Jordan was taking a step in the right direction. He was going to have his hands off um, and let Rich Cho make the decisions. And it seemed like it, it was that was the case early on. Um, but we've always heard these disagreements and whose acquisition was who, who made that pick, who made that trade, who was responsible for that. You know the moves that we made and we didn't make. You just never knew. Uh, who who did them because Michael Jordan is the owner. And now it seems like he's getting back to his old ways with his UNC friends, with Buzz Peterson and, and Mitch Kupchak as well uh, has those ties. So that makes me nervous. And I thought he was taking a step in the right direction by hiring Cho, but it now seems like he's hiring more yes men. And that, that never seems to go well in any business. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with basically everything you said there. Um, Brian, jump in here. Give us, you know, your initial thoughts about this. Yeah, that, uh, I I was just giving a thumbs up to say, Richie said that perfectly like that. That's, that's pretty much my feelings to a, to a T. Um, it is interesting though. If you do read those stories from, from draft night in 2015, you know, almost depends if you read Zach Lowe's report of Boston offering, uh, four first round picks in exchange for the Hornets uh, number nine pick that they ended up using on Frank Kaminsky. And then you read the reports that there were all these voices in the draft room and it's chaotic and different people have different levels of power. It's almost a, a surprise. This didn't happen earlier to be totally honest with you. Um, but you know, I, I guess the, the 48 win season the year after that maybe sort of at least patched things over temporarily. But if you read those reports, if you believe them, which I tend to, then, um, yeah, I, again, this is this is no this is almost a foregone conclusion. It's just sort of surprising that it took two and a half years to play out. Richie brought up another great point. The timing is sort of a silver lining just because you do get a head start on on finding a new executive. And, you know, again, it's time to start gearing up and scouting. And uh, because the, this draft is going to be a big one for the Hornets, uh, just because free agency is going to be sort of a not really a thing they can participate in. Um, you know, it's, I don't think it's ever a good option to hire friends and stuff like that. Um, and this will be interesting because this will put it, if eventually buzz does become the, the full-time GM of the Hornets, then I mean, that puts that basically removes a, any sort of buffer between he and MJ, unless Cupcheck comes in at, as president or some other high level executive position. Um, I don't want to mispronounce this guy's name, but, uh, Gerson Rojas, 
like you said a second ago, Spencer. I, I mean, basically, maybe I'm a sucker for this sort of stuff, but anyone from Houston, um, I would be interested in. Those guys are one step ahead. And what that franchise did, pivoting and acquiring Harden and then building around him the last five, six years is incredibly impressive. And it's the type of approach that you would need in a small market like Charlotte building. Now, they didn't do it necessarily through the draft. They did it through acquiring assets and trades. And but that would be I would be really interested in a guy like and Rojas has been elsewhere, too. He hasn't been just Houston. But, you know, any sort of lieutenant for for uh, Daryl Morey, I would be uh, I would be interested in here in, you know, Cupcheck. It's sort of interesting because he didn't really draft in the first round all that much during this long tenure he had with the Lakers. Um, sort of a top heavy, high market uh, top heavy, big market team that was always in contend mode. So you're just always looking for pieces to put around Shaq and Kobe or or Kobe and Gasol or whatever. So, you know, I, I, his draft history is sort of spotty. Um, Andrew Bynum's a pretty good pick. Other than that, nothing really notable out of the first round. So I think it's unfortunate that Cho has to fall on the sword because I think he's a pretty good executive and I could see him getting hired elsewhere and doing a, doing a good job if he has a little more autonomy. But I'm not surprised by the move. And, um, you know, maybe the timing of it with, with, with plenty of time between now and the end of the season is something the Hornets could use as, as a benefit. We'll see though. Well, you guys both, um, you know, said it very well there. Um, <clears throat> you know, the only thing I would really add is, you know, I would, I would hope that, uh, there's somebody around Michael. I mean, I think this guy has to be Curtis Polk, um, that would say, you know, you, you really need to think about hiring someone who, Brian, to your point, you're going to be able to give some autonomy or be willing to give some autonomy to, which he was with Cho to an extent for a time. And then Brian brought up the best example we have documented, which I believe as well, which is the, you know, the draft pick compensation they turned down from Boston for that ninth pick. And it's pretty obvious that Jordan's voice took over kind of at the last second there and it's pretty much well documented that Jordan has been inconsistent with how often he comes in and and says okay this is my call versus you know when he lets other people most importantly the GM do their job i mean you know he 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 has said to the Charlotte Observer just a few weeks ago you know i try my best to stay away from the team you know i try my best to let these guys do their job um you know but but he doesn't and he comes in in times where it's not his job to make that decision. He's hired somebody to do that. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, mimicking what you guys said, I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't seem like a good idea to hire a Buzz Peterson or at least put him in a role that gives him more power in the front office. Um, he knows, you know, Buzz knows that Jordan has power over him and, and Jordan knows he can pretty much step in and make the call over. But I mean, there's just, there's not a healthy working relationship dynamic there um, in a way that makes teams, businesses, et cetera, successful. Uh, there's just the line of respect is from, from friends and not from colleagues, you know, and, and there's the, the difference between those two things is very, very distinct. Um, but yeah, I would say that I think that Curtis Polk needs to be play an important role here. Um, in making Jordan realizing he needs to hire somebody um, that number one can push back on him a little bit and say, you know, this is my decision. This is my job. Uh, and number two, hiring somebody that Jordan respects enough to really 
to really let him do that job. And that's the one positive uh, to me with Mitch Kupchak. You know, he does have seniority to an extent over Jordan. You know, he's been in this business a long time. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that Jordan really looks up to anybody. Uh, you know, I'm sure that he does, but uh, you know, <laughs> Kupchak would, would fit kind of that role, right. As, as the older guy, Chapel Hill, um, there's just a seniority factor there. And he's, he's got a lot of championships too, as a GM. So, you know, maybe there's a lot of respect where Kupchak could truly do that job and be able to push back on Jordan a little bit. Like where that would have never been the case with Rich Joe, right? Like never. Um, so, you know, in Rojas, like if, if you're that guy, I mean, that is a super attractive fit for me. Um, you know, if you've been in Houston's front office and you've seen the, you know, you've worked with Daryl Morey and you've seen the way they operate and how they work trades and free agency, it's just, it's masterful. But if you're that guy, why in the world would you come yeah. to Charlotte? I mean, I mean, it just makes zero sense. Um, Houston's the best show in the NBA right now, too. Like, I, I wouldn't, right. be, I'd be wanting to stay there as long as possible, man. Right, right. So, I mean, I just don't know, like, why you would come over to a situation like Charlotte and work for a guy like Michael Jordan when you've got just the perfect situation there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we all kind of said the same thing in different ways there. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I would just end by saying I, I'm disappointed in the way this ended for Rich Joe. Um, I did like him. I agree with what I, I think Brian said it, that I, I think that he could be successful in, other, in another situation. I think he made some very creative trades, um, thought outside the box as a GM, um, you know, managed the cap pretty flawlessly until the summer of 2016, um, you know, when he when he made some bad deals. But, you know, at the same token, you have to understand a lot of that was, you know, you got to hold him accountable. Sure. But a lot of that was out of his control, too, to an extent. And, you know, I, I said it a few weeks ago, I wish Rich Joe would have stuck around and been the GM here, you know, long-term, whatever that meant. Cause I think he's a good GM, but he was never going to have the decision-making power that he needed to, to really be successful. Anybody else have any kind of closing thoughts on this? Do we want to talk about some of the other names that have been mentioned or we just kind of want to hold that till later? I, I just want to throw in two things real quickly and then we can get into some of the other names, but you know, you do wonder what I'd love to get, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall during the night of the 2017 NBA draft when Malik Monk becomes available, a guy that the Hornets haven't worked out. And instead of, you know, taking a guy like Donovan Mitchell, a guy that they worked out a bunch and were sort of targeting, um, you know, he gets pushed to the fray when Malik Monk becomes available. You just, you wonder whose voice is in there saying if maybe it's everybody. And I mean, the three of us were certainly excited to see them take Malik Monk too. But, um, but yeah, it's again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but you look at it now, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's averaging 20 a game and you can maybe make a case that he even deserves rookie of the year over Ben Simmons. So again, you wonder if there was a similar event in 2017 to 2015, but that that's, I'm speculating wildly there. So I should probably, probably just table that. And then one other exercise too. I want you guys to step back into the time machine with me. Come on, plenty of room in the time machine with me. We're only going to go back like 24 months, okay? All right, you guys are fans of Charlotte sports in general. Imagine if I told you, let's let's go back to February 2016, and I told you that the GM of the Carolina Panthers is Marty Herney, and the GM of the Charlotte Hornets is Buzz Peterson. 
I mean, what is your, could you imagine what, like my reaction, I think my head would just fall off my, my neck, honestly. Um, it, we're at a weird place in Charlotte area sports when it comes to, uh, high level executives and stuff like that. So anyways, those are just my, my, uh, my, my last two little, um, two thing, two cards that I'll throw on the table there. Well, when you say it that way, Brian, it certainly makes it understandable. Uh, when a guy like at baseline buzz, which all, you know, on Twitter, our good friend walks away, like literally yeah. just like, I can't do it anymore. You know, when you put it that way, you're like, wow. Yeah. If I would have, if you would have told me that two years ago, I probably would have hung it up at that point too, but like, here yeah. we are. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty depressing. Yeah. Richie, <laughs> Wait, are you still in this time machine with us? <laughs> no, I left. I left. Oh, yeah, okay. oh damn. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, that, was, that, was fun. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, um, yeah. All right. So let's, let's look at a few of these names that have been mentioned. The most interesting one to me, and actually a guy that I think similar to Cupchak might like come in and be like, look, man, I, I've seen the worst in the NBA in terms of power struggle. And that's David Griffin. Um, you know, he, he's worked with LeBron James, who's, I mean, frankly, you know, he, he doesn't own the Cavs, but he might as well, I guess. And so David Griffin's been in a similar environment, I would say, working environment where it's really the power struggle exists. Um, and, and that's a guy who I think is a very creative GM as well and made some awesome deals you know, in his time as GM in Cleveland, really giving them a chance, made the trade to put them over the top um, to really win an NBA championship a few seasons ago. That's a that's the most interesting name to me I've, I, that has been mentioned as a, hey, you know, keep an eye on this wasn't in Woj's report. But, man, I would be psyched if if Charlotte could convince David Griffin uh, to get back in. And actually, if you haven't listened yet, I haven't gotten all the way through, but he just did. uh a 35 minute podcast. So it's, it's a quick listen with Zach Lowe that released yesterday. And Griffin's just talking about how, look, like I'm, I'm just a fan again. You know, it's so refreshing to watch the game and watch, you know, the example they brought up a lot was the young players in Toronto. He's like, that used to scare the shit out of me. But now like, I really enjoy like watching the development and growth uh, of guys like this in the NBA. And I think it's made him maybe see the game from a different, different perspective and re-energized him. So that said, I think a guy like David Griffin would actually have some interest, uh, in this job in Charlotte, you know, if he thought he could come in, um, and have a real say with Michael Jordan when it came to tough decisions. But, um, there's another name, Jeff Bauer. I think I'm getting that right. Uh, he's, he's in Detroit's front office right now. His name's come up in the past with Charlotte. I haven't done a a lot of research there. I mean, I don't, you know, that name doesn't, He's, he's just Van Gundy's number two guy. He's like, he's the GM and Van Gundy is the president, right? Isn't that how that, that uh, that's right. So he does report to Van Gundy. Yeah. yeah. And I believe Bowers, I think he coached at Marist. Like, I think he was a college coach at Marist and then got into, maybe it was got into scouting and then quickly sort of worked his way up, um, sure. up the ladder towards becoming an executive. I think, I think that was his, his track over the last you know decade, decade plus or whatever. Right. Um, I believe he was a college coach at Marist. Um, yeah, I mean, I, David Griffin would be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. An awesome hire. He's, he's done well, both working in the front office of Phoenix where they were competitive for probably six or seven seasons with him having a high level position there. And then what he did in the pressure cooker of Cleveland, I mean, talk about a, a, a power struggle with two guys that don't like one another being basically the liaison between LeBron James and Dan Gilbert, two guys that are impossible to please. And Basically, knowing you're also not going to have your contract um, 
you know, re-upped and still fighting and clawing to the end to put together a, a championship team or to try to put together a championship team in 2017 is is amazing. And you can also the book, but I've heard Win, Brian Windhorst and me has been discuss it in a few places, including the Zach Lowe's podcast. But he talks about the 2016 championship. And there's this email that David Griffin sends out to everybody in the team. I think it was, if it wasn't during the playoffs, it's when the team's sort of floundering in the middle of the season. Pardon me for not remembering, but basically he sends out this just legendary email of, you know, basically that rallying the troops and getting everybody on the same page. And that's sort of where the Cavs hit another, hit another level right after that. And, um, and look, that's not, that's sort of this intangible quality. That's not, you know, knowing the cap and putting together teams and drafting players and et cetera. But I, that would sort is another thing to sort of add to the list of qualities for David Griffin, that he is a guy that can command a room and get people to listen to him. Um, another, yeah. another positive for David Griffin too, it, friendly with media. Um, he's, he, I mean, clearly Windhorse, Brian Windhorse has a lot of respect for him. Clearly Zach Lowe has a lot of respect for him. Uh, me and Al Hassan at ESPN worked for him uh, in the Phoenix front office too. And for whatever it's worth, wasn't it? It was not too long ago that David Griffin was uh, a radio interview of our friend down in Charlotte, Chris Kroger on uh, WFNZ too. Yep. So yep. there's there's some there's some, and he he had he had he had a good perspective on I believe it was on you know whether or not to trade Kemba. Uh, this was probably a month or so ago. So, anyways, I mean, I can't imagine a better front office hire than David Griffin, um, a guy that's a guy that's built from the draft up. And a guy that's also had to manage big egos and win now championship level teams. Um, he'd be he, he'd be an incredible land for Charlotte. I just don't know if he, how much interest he'd actually have in the job. Yeah, I mean, all these names are fine and well, but just kind of going back to our previous point, you know, any outside hire that's not a friend of Michael Jordan it just kind of makes me a little bit wary because I feel like. It, we're going to go through waves and sense of okay, it's it's your pick, it's my pick, it's MJ's pick. I just think that until he gives and relinquishes full control of the acquisition side of basketball, all these names are, are fine and well, but it still kind of makes me a little hesitant because really, when it all comes down to it, uh, it could just be Michael Jordan say at the end of it all. Uh, I do have a question for you all: If we do get a new GM, I mean, we will, but do you think they will look uh, for a new coach? Like, do you think Clifford's name is tied to this as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Clifford has, and I think it's pretty well documented. I mean, there's a lot of respect between Jordan and Clifford. Uh, I, it feels to me like that relationship is, is still pretty stable. Um, but it, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, again, it depends on, you know, what this GM hire is. I mean, I think if you get a guy like, you know, David Griffin in there or Jeff Bauer or an outside presence, you know, I think the conversation changes. Obviously if, you know, if, um, Buzz Peterson is going to take on a lot of this responsibility, then I, you know, I don't think Clifford would go anywhere. I mean, I I really think Jordan likes Clifford and I think he wants to stick with him and see this through. I think Clifford has a few more years left on his contract. So I don't really, really know why they'd be in a rush here from that perspective, but, but I think it's a good question and I think it's all on the table right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, there is something to be said about if you, if you hire a new executive, especially an outside guy that they might want to hire quote unquote, hire their guy. So I certainly, that is, um, you know, that's a, that's a sort of like existential concern for Steve Clifford, but I do think that it's sort of telling that we haven't really heard anything about 
you know, before Rich Cho was was stripped of his powers, we we knew, right? We had been we had been hearing murmurs, and then there was even what was it, two or three days before the trade deadline, um, where it, it came out that you know Jordan was looking at Cupjack, and you know Rich Cho might not be back next year. The fact that you haven't heard any of that with Steve Clifford, the fact that the only the only sort of chatter we've heard about him, you know, maybe not coached next season was when he had to take the, the sort of the, the mental, yeah. the, not the, not the mental, but the sort of like the personal health break, um, in December and January. And he seems to have come back reinvigorated and stuff. Um, he's really well thought of and the guys clearly like playing for him. And Spencer, like you said, Jordan seems to have a, a level of respect for him, which is maybe all that really matters. So again, that can change quickly and maybe, who knows? Maybe he's coaching for his job with this playoff run. Like we, we, I don't, we don't think that's the case, but maybe that's the case. But no, yeah. I think, I think Steve Clifford will be, I think he'll be back next season. Although, uh, you know, sort of to your question, Richie, I mean, that could change real quickly depending on if they, if they, you know, whom they hire. Yeah. And the other thing I would say about Clifford too, like in contrast to like a general manager where, you know, in that role, in the general manager role, you really have to, <laughs> especially with Michael Jordan, you're going to have to work with him on the decision-making piece. You know, I, I do think Jordan is actually pretty, he has a healthy perspective in staying out of the coaching way. Like he, I, I don't think he's ever had an issue there. And I think with Steve Clifford, the thing to always remember is Charlotte was floundering, coming off one of the, you know, a few years removed from one of the ugliest rebuilds, you know, ever in NBA history. And that guy was able to really uh, manufacture a culture and, uh, you know, basically a strategic plan, right. For like the, the future of this franchise. I mean, those guys, like if you come into Charlotte now, if you're a free agent recruiter, or you're a rookie drafted, like there's the five pillars or whatever you want to call it, that this is what we do. Like we defend, you know, we went on the defensive end, we clean up the glass, you know I mean? We can all name them. We don't turn the ball over. Like we all know what Steve Clifford believes in. And that's because he's instilled this over years and years being in Charlotte. And so that's really important to, to consider when you talk about the future of his, um, of Clifford in Charlotte is that he's created a culture and how much that's translated to winning has not been super consistent, but, um, that's something that culture that didn't exist before him at all in Charlotte. I mean, they, they had floundered for years since the team returned as the Bobcats. So, that's something important to keep in mind. And if you're going to go hire a new coach, I think it makes sense to hire someone who's going to be able to carry on, um, what has been built. You know, you're not really going to want to start over, I guess, if any of that makes any sense. So I I would consider that with Clifford. I I think he's got to win in these next few years, you know, to get a contract renewal, but I would be surprised if they got rid of him before then. And I don't have it right in front of me, but I think after this season, he has two left. I could be wrong on that. Does anybody know that off the top of their head? I, for some reason, I was thinking his deal ran up in 2019, but okay. I could so be, maybe just I, one season. Yeah, uh, I could be wrong because I thought he. So he was hired in 2013, and I thought they had sort of hired him on three-year contracts. So it was three to si- 13 to 16 and 16 to 19. But don't uh, we would need to pull it up and verify. But for some reason, I was thinking 19 off the top of my head. You, you're probably, you might be right. Yeah. You might be right there. I need to do a little research, but, but yeah, I would just consider that, you know, he's really, he's really played such an important role, uh, in Charlotte basketball franchise history as it's returned, because he's given any guy that steps into that locker room, uh, a checklist of things that you got, you have to meet these expectations. If you want to play in Charlotte, like these, this is what we do. 
and it just didn't exist before. So, I, you know, I think just looking at it from that very basic, simple, um, you know, perspective helps you understand that, you know, this is a guy that's earned the respect for all the right reasons. So, by the uh, way, real quickly, we'll say I've got it confirmed. He's signed guaranteed through 2019, but the Hornets have an option okay. for the 1920 season. So split the difference with what we were, <laughs> with what we were thinking here. Um, Technically, he's signed. I mean, technically, he's signed through 2020, but uh, but and really, it's you know, it's basically he has guaranteed only one more season of uh, right. of salary, which is next season. Right. So I mean, you know, the conversation um, <laughs> we were having about Rich Joe this time last year. I mean, it's the yeah. it's now the, the it's now transformed into the Steve Clifford conversation. So uh, you got to win. You know, as as much of the culture building he has been a part of you, you got to win at the end of the day. So I think it's going to boil down to that. Um, all right, should we jump into the game recaps? Anything else we want to mention before we move on? No, I think we're good. Let's jump into the game recaps, the games that I did not watch, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, um, I will say this. I did watch a little bit of the Brooklyn game on Thursday, but, uh, not too much of it, but, uh, I was unable to watch the Washington game. I thought I recorded it, and then when I got home last night, nothing was recording, so I had to record like the 1 a.m. like rerun schedule, so I wasn't staying up for that. So I have it on my DVR, just haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I got a, I got a question to pose it to you guys. If if there's a Hornets game, but Richie Randall doesn't watch it, did it happen? Stephanie Reddy isn't on the, isn't on the sideline. Yeah, did it did, actually happen? Did, did that game actually happen? Right? Did these two <laughs> wins that we just had after that the Hornets just had after the All Star break? Did they in fact happen? Yeah, I mean exactly. I mean you know, it, tree falls in the forest. Nobody's around. Nobody hears it. Did it actually fall? I mean you know, I I, I think you have a point there, Brian. I'll have to like ponder that the rest of the day and give you yeah. my answer. But. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> all right. So Hornets do get a win over Brooklyn uh, on Thursday night, pretty convincingly. Although the game was close, you know, through through midway through the third quarter. Um, it, early in the game, my basic note was this, and, and this is something I've realized. It's popped off the screen at me these first two games since the All Star break. Is uh, looks like Charlotte is really making it a point to do to play less Kimba Dwight Howard pick and roll. They've been putting Marvin Williams in a ton of ball screen uh, situations in these first two games back. And it's great because I think it gets the ball to the second side quicker uh, to Batum and keeps the ball moving in Charlotte's offense, especially with that first unit that can really dry up. Uh, and it gets Marvin involved in the offense, which has been an, an issue for him at times this year. He's become more of a floater, uh, just by Dwight Howard being on the floor and eating up all those ball screens and eating up more possessions. It, it's been hard for Marvin to really create an offensive role outside of just when the ball gets in the middle and it's popped out to him and he takes a shot. So seeing him being put into ball screens with Kemba, um, having that pick and pop action, if the defense recovers, you can get out, get it to the second side quicker. Dwight's coming across the lane, like stuff's happening way easier for the Hornets offense uh, in these la- in these last two games, and so that's jumped off at me, uh, Brian. You saw this early in the Brooklyn game, and and really Charlotte's offense had a lot of success early in that game, as they did last night as well. So that's the main thing that I've seen here in these first two games uh, out, and, and noticed it against Brooklyn. Yeah, the in I mean it, again, it's just two games, just ninety six minutes, but they've shot really well from from three in these games and gotten to the line a lot too. Um, they've shot in particular, they've shot really well on above the break threes at, at what is an unsustainable level, but it's still something you like. It's an, it's a nice positive sign. And that probably has something to do with, Hey, the ball's moving around a little bit more. 
And I think when the ball moves and pops for the Hornets on offense, that also gets MKG moving more around off the ball. I think it turns him into just think when there's a better flow on offense, it allows MKG turns him into a more dangerous cutter uh, along the baseline on those angled cuts. He likes to make in from the wing too. And I thought MKG was strong offensively against both Brooklyn and Washington on Thursday and Friday. So I thought those were all positive signs. Um, and yeah, and then it was also, it's been nice to see um, Cody and Kemba. I mean, not, they haven't played a lot together. Um, you know, since Cody came back from injury, but the Hornets have been, I mean, just incredible with those two guys on the court this season. And, uh, in particular, the last two games, um, just really, really good, uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, 14 minutes over the last two games with Cody and Kemba on the court Hornets scoring, um, above 1.5 points per possession and allowing only 103 points per 100 possessions an effective field goal rate of 73%. I mean, all that stuff is just outstanding. And in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn, Kemba took over, right? 14 points on five of six shooting, couple threes. Would like to say three of the five field goals he had were a direct result of a Cody Zeller screen. Um, Mm -hmm. Them were, were pick and roll from different angles. They ran what is one of my favorite plays for Kemba, which is they stay, they stay, they stash him in the corner and then MCW enters the ball, then runs down and sets a, a pin down for Kemba, who then goes into a dribble handoff with Frank. He takes the ball from Frank, and then Cody's at the top of the key, top of the key, and then they run pick and roll. Um, they, I think Kemba got a buck. Kemba got a bucket off this at the rim, and then uh, Zeller scored off of it too. And it just it's a really tough play to defend because by the time Kemba's hitting the pick and roll that mesh point with Zeller, he's run off two screens, including a handoff with Kaminsky. Um, and it's tough. They put, they, they had AC sort of dancing in no man's land on, on one of these plays. And another one of the plays where Cody set him up too was, uh, one of those, you've just seen Kemba and Cody do this so many times where Cody flips the screen last second and Kemba snaked back to the middle. And it was just, I mean, had all the time in the world to sort of rhythm up and take his 16 footer. Um, I know we're, we're I'm not a huge fan of mid-range shots, but when it's Kemba wide open off the off a screen from Cody, that's a that's a great look for the Hornets. So it's been fun to see those guys in a limited role um, do damage because they're one of the best pick and roll batteries in the entire NBA. Yeah, yeah. that 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 ta- that's a time machine. Bring me back a year ago when um, those two were together. That that that's the time machine that I want to hop on. Um, <laughs> hey, but I will say that I thought, you know, I, again, I only watched the Brooklyn game or parts of it. I thought Dwight was uh, pretty effective when he when he's not trying to size up someone in the post or like face up and just try to cross him over. Uh, he's typically pretty efficient. And, I, and he had a very strong uh, first half to that game. And what I've noticed recently I mean, maybe you guys have seen it too. Don't you think they're doing more alley oops between Kemba and Dwight recently? I feel like and, that that's been more of a thing recently. And, and um, Batum and Dwight too. Batum and yeah, Dwight. Yeah, they've, got, they've, yeah. they've had a pretty good read on those where he'll Dwight will spin backside and right. It took him a couple of months, but he and Batum seem to have nailed down a little bit of timing on those on those lobs, which is tough because those passes come from thirty whatever feet away and they yeah. require perfect timing too. 
Yeah, so that, that's what I'd rather see out of Dwight. You know, totally. you know, just put him in the short corner or do a mm-hmm. quick pick and roll. Him run hard, do an alley oop. But mm-hmm. kind of back to what Spencer was talking about. If he's not, if it's a Dwight pick and roll, it seems like everyone just kind of stands off to the side and they don't really have a role. But if he if he runs hard and looks for the alley oop, that's an option. But if we can get Marvin more involved in the pick and roll, uh, more things open up in the passing game. You know, Marvin does well with the ball in his hands. And I think Marvin himself had like an 8-0 run in the first quarter just by himself uh, that that forced a timeout yeah. early from yeah. Brooklyn. Um, Kaminsky in the Brooklyn game, I, did, did he have? A, I think he had a good game last night. Again, I didn't watch it, but Kaminsky in the Brooklyn game, man, he was just like twisting, turning, throwing up shit. Uh, was not going in. Typical, typical Kaminsky, like he's just so off balance when he gets down in the post. Sometimes it's just so hard to watch. But did did didn't he have a good game last night though? Yeah, he yeah, was yeah, a great game. Great game. Yeah. yeah, and you know, last night we can talk about it more in a minute, but it was just he was just shot ready, and Washington's defense was something to marvel at. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, look, Kaminsky was he saw a few go in early, albeit you know it was off of Keith Morris just getting completely lost on the defensive end, and, and Kaminsky being wide open. But when he sees a few go in early, uh, it, it's he can be a threat. You know, he can be an asset offensively outside of just being able to stand at the three point line. But yeah, Richie, to your point, I mean, against Brooklyn, you know, when he does have a defender that's clued in and knows that hey, it's a threat, he can shoot from there, chases him off the line. It, he just, he over dribbles, um, all, you know, although he can put it on the floor and spin back to his left side and he can make stuff happen. There's just, he doesn't have control of his body. There's just, there's no balance. I mean, really, I mean, you know, th- there's no balance. Um, he can't, reverse pivot or spin and just keep his chest, you know, straight up to the ground. He, he gets his body sideways. It's just yeah. doesn't have control of himself. Uh, and to that end, he's still not a good enough passer. He's not a bad passer, but his vision, you know, hasn't gotten to the point where he gets himself into that tough situation of one, two, three dribbles. And that second defender converges. He just forces up a tough shot. That's off balance instead of kicking him back out and keeping the offense humming. So, you know, it's, it's what we've talked about with Kaminsky for a long time. And it's just such, it's so unpredictable and he just skill development wise. He just hasn't, he hasn't come very far. The only thing he can do at this point really consistently is if he sees a shot go in, he can be a threat uh, by just being shot ready around the three point line and having his defender, you know, help in on a Kimba drive or a Batum drive or what it is and, and catch and shoot that thing. But the rest of his game is just still such a work in progress. Well, they, yeah. they tried to get him, like, seeing the ball go through the hoop. He even shot a technical in the Brooklyn game instead of Jeremy Lamb, who's a better free throw shooter. Uh, but that didn't seem to help either. Yeah, the Brooklyn game was not was not, uh, was not not a night to remember for, in Uptown for Frank Kaminsky. And, and Spencer, you, you robbed it. The guy's a ball mover on offense, and I, and I think the, the ball flows pretty well when, when he's spaced out and, you know, and he's not just – getting run off the line and forcing up tough shots, but he's not like a, he isn't like a playmaker. You know what I mean? Like you think of a, a front court guy that can, that can create shots and put on the deck and hit a guy for a three or hit Dwight for a lob or, or Cody on a cut or whatever. I mean, that's just not, he's not, he's certainly not a selfish player. And I think the, the offense can breathe nicely with him standing 25 feet from the hoop sometimes, but um, yeah, he's not like, it's, it's an important distinct. It's an important distinction to make with him in terms of, you know, how good his passing skills are. Um, yeah. would like to just add real quickly. Starters were great against Brooklyn, uh, 22 minutes, 
113 points per 100 possessions. They allow under 89 points per 100 possessions, and they assist on 68% of their made field goals with a net rating of 25 points per 100 possessions, which is, I mean, that's outstanding. I mean, look, Brooklyn's a really bad team, but that's great production from uh, from the starting lineup. And and I just want to I want to add another thing in here of, about um, Kemba, if you guys don't mind. Like, we love to talk all the time on this podcast, and it's just it's a frequent conversation of the NBA and in particular the Hornets community online of just how much how good this guy's become the last couple of years. And all of that is completely valid. And, and I love to, I love having that conversation. It's, it's really fun. I think what's even more impressive too, is not only has Kemba become a lot better, he's become better in ways that are perfectly suited for the current rule structure of the NBA. Like he's, he is Lillard for the best in, in maybe Curry. I mean, those are the, those in maybe Kyrie. I mean, those are the four best pick and roll players in the world. And on any given night, Kemba can be the best in the world. And as good as he's become shooting off the dribble, shooting off the catch, getting to the rim, getting fouled. I mean, he's just, he's become a great modern day NBA point guard. He has, he's, he's built his game. He's improved in a way that allows him to maximize everything in his skill, in his skill set. I think that's really, imp- I don't know if that, uh, if that, if that happened by accident or, or, or whatever, but, or if that was something he, he trained for specifically, but it's really impressive to see how nicely he fits into the way the, the modern day NBA offense is played. And it makes you wonder like what that guy could look like if he played for an offense like Houston or golden state or whatever that had, that he had more spacing and more, more screen threats and more shooters around him. I mean, he's, he's a really special player. And uh, it's, it was it was just inc- it was so much fun to watch him operate in the second half against Brooklyn, especially in that fourth quarter. No, I think it's a great point, Brian. And the only thing I would add to it is that you know I think it all started with Kimba when he added that shot, added that shot, and defenders had to figure out a different way to guard him other than just giving him a little bit of space and going under screens. I mean, his speed and his change of direction and uh, you know his in and out dribble and all these just low center of gravity benefits that a small point guard has and and a world-class ball handler has um you know he's he started to be able to really use those uh skills in a way that just devastated defenses and you know i i think kimba has really been revolutionary as a small point guard in, in almost a way you know not in the same way a guy like muggsy bogues was but because of how the NBA has evolved and how smaller players are on the court more often and you want guys who can drive it, get to the rim, kick it, shoot it, you know, do all these things that Kimba can do, but not all these guys are 5'8", you know, 5'9", like Kimba is. And he, he and his skill set has really been revolutionary, I think, in a lot of ways of giving prospects coming out of college now and smaller point guards that were really overlooked maybe uh, for Kimba's development that maybe – aren't as overlooked now because a lot of the things that Kimba has done from a ball handling standpoint in a pick and roll play, uh, we haven't seen a lot of these things before. So, you know, in that way, I I think he really has kind of paved the way for hopefully a new generation of smaller point guards. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm glad you said it because it's so true and it's been so fun to watch. Curry gets the majority of the credit for that as he should. I mean, the guys completely revolutionized the game, but it does make you think like you think a prospect like Trey young. Um, 
I mean, maybe 10 years ago, we still, everyone still thinks this guy's going to be great. He can still play in the NBA. He can be a, a good NBA player or whatever. We got to feel like what, what Curry and Lillard and, and Kemba have done as far as a guy like Trey young, that you think can run, pick and roll and shoot from 26 feet off the dribble. Like it just opened, like you think a decade ago, someone, someone like Trayvon Duvall, that's bigger and longer and more athletic, he'd be a, a better prospect, but because the game has become so pick and roll and three point oriented, you might think I'm sort of cherry picking just some of the top point guard prospects in the upcoming draft, but it makes you think that Trey young could be the number five pick in the draft this year. And I, I'm just cherry picking this stuff again for my argument, but maybe he wouldn't be in 2007 or yeah. 2008 or whatever. Right. So maybe it has, maybe these guys sort of have opened the door a little bit more. Um, and I mean, shit, we were talking about the Rockets a second ago. Give them a lot of credit as they've sort of helped usher in um, this era of spread pick and roll too. And Mike D'Antoni, a lot of credit for that too. So yeah, um, I mean, it's yeah. today's, I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, a bigger, or whatever it was, everybody was after size and height and length. Uh, we went to an extent, which which people still are in the NBA, but yeah. but it's you know in the small ball league, you're after a guy who can go by his defender, right? I, regardless of the size, um, you know who it, can you put a defender on this player that can shut him down? Or pretty much ninety percent of the time, is this player going to be able to beat his man? And what that does is force a second defender, and now we're playing inside out and kick and drive, and that's the NBA today. So, like, if you're talking about a guy who's going to be able to beat his man off the dribble, um, he's going to have a chance. And that's actually one of my concerns with Trey Young. But that's another conversation for another day. Um, got plenty of time to have those. Talks. Yeah, plenty, plenty <laughs> of plenty of time. All right. So the only other thing I wanted to say in this game, and it, I just constantly track this stat because I think it's very telling and I think it's important. Um, uh, usage percentage. In the fourth quarter, Kimball Walker had a 58.6% usage rate, which is pretty ridiculous. Like literally, or I'm sorry, it was actually greater than that. 57.8 usage in the fourth quarter of the Brooklyn game. So it was literally everything going uh, for this game. Uh, Dwight's usage, I just had it. Dwight's usage was 25.7. Kim's 30.2. Batum's was 15.3. I don't love it. I mean, I, I, again, I said on Twitter the other day, you have to figure out a way to close that gap between Dwight and Batum's usage rate. Uh, and we'll get to it here in a second, but we saw that in Washington last night where it was a lot less Dwight, a lot more Kimba, Batum, uh, guys like Barvin. I mean, Kaminsky had a 25-plus usage rate last night. So uh, just getting Dwight Howard's usage rate down so that he can do the dirty stuff, like get on the glass, dominate the offensive boards, which the Hornets have been just revolutionary in the, that stat this year, uh, you know, and just allowing him to dominate the rim without giving, you know, just feeding him the ball and these pointless post touches, which he has not improved on. Uh, I think it's so important because Dwight Howard really can be a huge present on the floor when he's just focusing on putbacks, getting on the defensive glass, offensive glass, setting good ball screens, you know, and, and focusing not uh, or not focusing on, on getting those post touches. So it's just so important for the Hornets. And if they continue to win, I, I would keep an eye on just how often the Hornets are giving the ball to Dwight in the post because it's my strong inclination that that will go down. Uh, but we'll continue to track that. All right, let's get over to Washington. Uh, a game last night where it felt like, all right, this is the one that the Hornets, these are the kind of games the Hornets are going to have to win. They can't just win the games at home uh, against the teams they they should beat 
uh, from here on out. They have to win these these important games on the road against better teams, and they dominated Washington last night. I, I was frankly shocked at how bad the Wizards were defensively. Uh, they, you know, both teams were on the second of a back to back. But the Wizards look like the team that was truly on the second of a back-to-back after coming off a win in Cleveland the night before. They were sleepwalking defensively. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, but Frank Kaminsky was a huge beneficiary of that. Uh, he makes six threes in this game, so six of nine, scores 23 points. Um, you know, I dare to say this is probably his best game of the season. Uh, and Markeith Morris, numerous occasions, fell asleep early in the game that left Kaminsky wide open. He saw a few go in. I mean, Kaminsky was feeling it so much by his sixth three-pointer. He shot it from the right wing, held the follow-through for about five seconds, <laughs> like looked at the crowd, then looked down at the Wizards bench, and then took off the other way. And I haven't laughed that hard watching a Hornets game in quite some time. So Frank <laughs> really feeling himself last night. Uh, in that performance, but look, the Hornets offense right now is really doing some special stuff. So in the last three games, uh, so obviously the Hornets three and zero during that stretch, they're shooting 45 and a half percent from behind the arc. Uh, that's first in the NBA during that time frame. Uh, 54.5% effective field goal, which is a stat that the Hornets have been bottom three in basically all season. That's 10th in those three games amongst the NBA, also in those three games, 115 uh, offensive rating, that's six, 101.3 defensive rating, that's fifth. That's a, a net of 13.7. That's good for third. So, I mean, the Hornets have been really tops in the league here in these past three games. Um, and it's, I mean, you know, the the differences of what they are doing is, is jumping off the page. I mean, especially last night in Washington, um, Dwight Howard's usage percentage was as low as it's been in, gosh, at least 15 games. And we saw a lot of Batum. We saw some classic Cody uh, Kemba, which we did in Brooklyn, too. But, I mean, the Hornets are as good as they've been offensively all season long. And, you know, getting Marvin more involved in the offense. I mean, all this equals up uh, to a team that is playing with a lot of confidence right now and seeing a lot of shots go down. Uh, I mean, how good they've been shooting the basketball has been. I mean, it's like it was in 2016. This is what we saw. Um, and it's really opening up the entire offense for Charlotte. And, and Richie, I think, you know, you brought it up earlier. It seems like there's a lot more lobs between Kimba and Dwight. And, you know, when you got the guys from outside, I mean, Batum starting to find his form. Marvin's continuing to shoot the ball with a lot of confidence. When you get guys like Frank going, like, this is just opening up a ton of space for Dwight uh, to be more effective and for Kimba to be able to get into the lane more often. So, you know, I think these are kind of the main factors you've seen in this three game uh, stretch for the Hornets where they've played, uh, frankly, their best basketball of the season. Yeah. I, and I'd also add too, just over the last two games. So post all-star break um, Hornets scoring 121 points per 100 possessions. That would be, I mean, that would be the number one offense in the NBA by a lot defensive rating over the last two games of 102 points per 100 possessions. So a net rating of plus 19 points per 100. Uh, they have an assist rate of 64% in the last two games, which is really good. They've been probably bottom 10 for that, of that statistic for most of the season. Um, Hornets 28 of 60 on three point attempts. The last two games, 47%. The last two games on catch and shoot three point attempts, 22 of 43, 51%. So especially like you just said, I mean, these guys are just throwing them in from everywhere. 
and they've also shot 83% from the free throw line over the last two games, and they're 34-51 in the restricted area against Brooklyn and Washington, 67%. I mean, you put that together, that's a, that's a damn near perfect offensive profile. You're getting to the line, you're shooting a lot of threes, and you're hitting your shots at the rim. Also in the last two games, um, only 23 field goal attempts from 15 to 19 feet. So those, those crappy, those sort of like crummy uh, you know, mid-range shots, they have not taken a lot of them. And over the last two games, too, only seven field goal attempts that have been mid-range shots from 20 feet or further away from the hoop. So they're, they're getting everything. is. I mean, you saw against Washington, everything was at the rim. Um, or it was a three-pointer from, from above the break. Uh, Kemba's been incredible. 68 minutes the last two games. Plus, the Hornets are plus 32 with him on the court. 51% from the field, 50% on threes. Marvin, 7 of 12 on threes over the last two games. Kaminsky, 7 of 11. And also worth mentioning, Cody Zeller, 11 screen assists in the last two games, too. Seven of which came against Brooklyn, four against Washington. And three of those, like I said earlier, against Brooklyn came in the fourth quarter on Kemba Walker, with Kemba Walker. So, um, I mean, that's – it should also be mentioned, too, both those games, the Hornets had offensive rebound rates over 30%. And that's that's where Dwight's Dwight's helping out. This is sort of – I think the three of us, we got excited in the offseason when they acquired Dwight, mostly for the rim protection, but also because this is sort of what we thought he was going to be, right? An offensive rebounder, a rim runner, a, a, a lob threat, giving this this team uh, you know, an easy, hey, you know, offense is bogged down. Instead of a post-up, let's see if we can get this guy a lob over the top. Like that, Those should be the easy points you get to when everyone's gassed and you're sort of, um, you're sort of locked down on, on offense. And it's been fun and refreshing to see that, um, you know, we'll see how long it lasts, but getting a good win on the road in Washington on the second night of a back-to-back. I mean, Spencer, I know you said Washington, they were on the second night of a back-to-back too, but they kicked ass the night before against Cleveland against the reinvigorated Cavs. But I watched that entire game. I taped it and watched it after the Hornets game on Thursday. And the Wizards were great in that game, scored 120 points for 100 possessions over the final three quarters. I mean, they just torched Cleveland's defense. And I even thought the Hornets did a good job against Washington's small lineup of, of Beal, Sadoransky, Oubre, Porter, and Morris. That lineup destroyed Cleveland the night before. And the Hornets shut them down in the first half in the second quarter last night. And uh, so, yeah, kudos. It was one of the best games the Hornets have played all season. Damn near 130 points for 100 possessions. I mean, it's one of, it's one of their top probably four or five offensive games they've had all season. They were terrific. And uh, they played great in the first half offensively, even without Kemba having that good of a game. And then once he got it cooking in the second half, like he knew he would, um, just top to bottom, one hell of a performance from Charlotte. Yep. Um, You just said it. It was their fifth highest uh, points per possession game of the season, Brian. Um, Let's see. Charlotte finished last night at with a clip of, yeah, 128.7, fifth highest and let's look at this. Let's consider that. And then consider Dwight Howard's usage rate last night, 17.4, one of the lowest of the season for him. Um, you got guys like Frank Kaminsky actually led the team in usage, 29.7. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, Jeremy Lamb's third, 23.3. Marvin Williams, 22.9. Uh, Michael Carter Williams with some very solid minutes quietly here recently, 22.5. Those are your top, you know, and obviously Kimba's in there at second, 26.1. But when you're getting those kind of contributions off the bench, uh, you know, and then Batum, who just can't seem to get really above that 20 percent 
uh, usage rate mark consistently. You know, when you've got these guys off the bench coming in, uh, playing with the ball, making decisions, making things happen at this rate, like, yeah, this is going to be an offense uh, that's going to be really, really good because it, it takes a lot of pressure off guys like Kimball Walker. Uh, but last night was probably an outlier, but yeah, the, Hornet, so. <laughs> the, Horn, the Hornets offense at its best. And it all starts by knocking down shots. I mean, yep. when Frank Kaminsky is going to knock down four plus threes and Marvin Williams is going to get going early like he was, and you're involving him in those ball screens and pick and pop situations, balls going side to side. I mean, it can happen. And, and Michael kid Gilchrist too. I mean, there's a guy who you, you can help off of him if you want, but he's just not hesitating anymore uh, to number one, get to the rim, but number two, step into that mid range shot, which he continues to be efficient. And so, uh, you know, Everyone knows their role. Everyone started to contribute more. And then, not to mention, you, you come with Cody Zeller, Kimball Walker minutes, late third, early fourth quarter, that is just a nightmare for defenses in a lot of situations, second unit defenses primarily, to try to corral. I mean, it really gives the Hornets juice uh, off the bench where they did not have this, you know, even a few weeks ago. So there's a long really- – yeah. go ahead. Think about it. That's one of the five best pick-and-roll guards in the world, and that's probably one of the best – that's probably one of the best two or three screen setting centers in the world too. So yeah, no surprise that those guys are, are a nightmare to, to defend, especially when guys around them are hitting shots. Hornets also take 39 threes against Washington. It's the second most they've had in a game this season. Um, we've talked about this number before when they get mm-hmm. up 33 point attempts, we feel pretty good. That's sort of like a magic number for this team. The Hornets have 18 games of 30 plus three pointer attempts of 30 plus three point attempts. They're 12 and six in those games. Um, when the Hornets take 30 attempt, 33 pointers and make better than one third of them. So make over 33.3% 12 games this season. The Hornets are 10 and two in those 12 games when they take 30 and make over a third of them. Um, I mean, that's probably most teams like duh. If you take a lot of threes and make them, you know, I, I know that the logic is sort of simple, but it's a telling sign for the Hornets that when this team gets away from the mid range, gets away from Dwight post-ups moves the ball around and hits shots. I mean, because they defend because they don't turn the ball over and they only had what eight or nine turnovers against Washington last night too. That Mm -hmm. yeah, like that's when cliff ball is, is working. You know what I mean? Like that, that should be, that's cliff ball is rebound defensively 80 plus percent, turn it over, you know, 12% or fewer 12%, you know, turnover rate 12% or less, but the, the next ingredient now should be you got to do that and also get up 33s. Like that should be, if we're going to like, if we're going to keep, if, if Clifford's going to stay being the coach, that should be the next element of cliff ball that this team's got us just shoot more three pointers, um, going into 2018, 2019. Yeah. And, sorry. Keep, I, I just want to real quickly, uh, actually Spencer, go ahead. Cause I, I've got one thing I want to mention on the bench, but I don't want to uh, just keep going here. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Good. Yeah, no. Look that up. Um, so yeah, 268 passes. Oh wow. Last night for the which is lower, but what I would point out, and it's exactly what Brian was just saying. When you're going to shoot the ball like the Hornets did as efficiently right. as they did, you don't need to pass. I mean, a lot. So many of those passes were inside out. Hornets took 39 threes last night. That's top five of their entire season. 
uh, in terms of three-point attempts getting up. They make 17 of those. I mean, so all that spits out – hold on, I had just had it. All that spits out a 58.3% effective field goal rate. That's uh, the 80th percentile in the league. I mean, that's the best of the best really there is shooting the ball. So when you're, when that, you're seeing that many shots go down – um, and you're getting that many up and only making 268 passes, it tells me a few things. You're playing against a uh, disinterested defense, and those passes that are going outside most of the time are going to wide-open players who don't need to make another pass. So they're just like, I'm wide open. I'm going to let this thing go. And that's really how the Hornets were able to get to 30 or, excuse me, 40 three-point attempts last night. I mean, look, it was impressive. They wanted to win that game. They were locked in. They did not look like a team on the second of a back-to-back the Wizards did, and they were disinterested, and it was it, it was kind of glaring to watch them sleepwalk. And they continue to just be this defense where they're like top 12 in the league, I think, or something. But I just don't – I don't really – I can't wrap my arms around how <laughs> they, they are. They, they play like a team that thinks it has an on and off switch, and they don't, though. You know, like that, that – and I know they have two all-stars, and they've got another Max guy in Porter who's a really good young player, and Ubre certainly. They have, they have a lot of talent – they just they play like they like they're the Warriors and like that they can oh hey we can sleepwalk through twenty five minutes but you know we'll come out after halftime and we'll just and they they just don't they don't really I don't know if they have a, a, a like that kind of that kind of explosiveness where they can where they can just check out for fifty sixty percent of the game and then just blitz somebody um, and I should say too the Hornets had only two hundred and sixty eight passes against the Wizards but check this out ten percent of those passes became assist so an assist to pass ratio of 10 percent um the warriors lead the league in the nba this season at nine and a half percent of assist to pass ratio so uh, to spencer's point um they were hitting shots i mean the ball doesn't have the ball was flying around as much as it needed to you know what i mean um so it was an impressive offensive display from the i would imagine that was one of their highest um you know assist to pass ratio of the of the season i'll be willing to bet that yeah, really the other thing I would note in this game is just how careless Washington was with the basketball as well. I mean, they had, I mean, 14 turnovers. It doesn't like blow you away, but that turned into 28 Charlotte points. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, a team that when they turned it over, just like didn't get back in transition. That led to an easy Hornets points. They had 15 fast break points in this game. But even when they did get back in transition, just like not being able to match up. Uh, or communicate and the Hornets just kind of walking into like secondary break threes, semi-transition threes. Like it's just, it was, it was too easy for Charlotte last night, but look, I mean, whatever, we'll take what we can get right now. Anything to get the confidence level up offensively for this Charlotte group, uh, we'll be able to take. And you know what, at the end of the day, this goes down as a quality win. You know, you have the golden state win, uh, you know, out there in the Bay area, which is obviously the best one of the season for the Hornets, but this ain't far behind, you know, just from, a chalk perspective. Uh, and it comes at a very important time of the season, um, which is probably a pretty good segue for us. Brian, Richie, anything else on this game? Brian, we leave anything out? Just real quickly, we just mentioned uh, they had 14 turnovers, but it was a slow game, only 95 possessions. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can see, and there wasn't, there was not check the, the, you know, there was not a lot of transition offense for either team outside of the first, maybe six minutes of this game. And I would just like to mention real quickly, uh, the bench was great again last night. Um, Charlotte's bench lineup, uh, the all five bench group, 12 minutes, they score 155 points per 100 possessions. And one last note, I, I do like the Jeremy lamb 
uh, Cody Zeller pick and roll combination too. That's a fun. That's a fun little little tool for the second unit to use. Okay, hey, I will say, guys, uh, this cannot be found advanced statistics or filters, but I think we're undefeated in our black unis this year. They are. Yeah. No, Eric Collins mentioned really. They're either five and zero or six and zero. Aaron Collins mentioned it uh, late, late, late last night at the end of the game. Wow. Yeah. No yeah. wonder. I, I actually thought last night. I was like, man, they're wearing these things again. Which I mean, I, you know, I, yeah. I like them more than I thought I would. By the I way, too. but I didn't. I did not know that they were undefeated. Very, very interesting. Yep. Um. That's hey. That's advanced stats, Richie. It's advanced stats straight from the desk of Richie Randall. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <You're> right. <laughs> I love it. Um. All right. Let's uh, let, let's segue here. We've got about maybe 15, 20 minutes, so we'll go a little bit faster, but we want to cover a few more things. Let's look ahead, and we're going to kind of combine these two segments, actually. Let's look ahead to the June draft. We're just going to tease a few names for everybody to get you thinking because that's what we do as Hornets fans. This time of year, we start thinking about the draft. Um, and then, all of a sudden, three straight wins. The Hornets are four games back uh, from the eight seed, and here we are having this uh, probably worthless conversation about, Hey, are, are we still alive in the playoffs? But, uh, five, if I have five thirty eight gives the Hornets a 23% chance of making the playoffs, which is the highest mark in a while, uh, 12, it was 12% yesterday. So it jumped that's right. considerably last night, jumped a lot. Miami lost last night as Charlotte won. So now the deficit, uh, games back is like I said, down to four. Uh, let's just start with you, Brian. Um, our, what do you think about the playoff chances? Just give me your like paragraph. I mean, real quickly, I, I, I don't, they're, they're facing an uphill battle. Uh, they could, they could totally do it. Uh, my confidence is low. They've basically got to win like 75% of their games from here on out. Um, I know it's 22% chance. That's still not great. And, um, you know, I don't know if you even want to make the playoffs just so you can get two gate receipts and have the Raptors beat you in you know, yeah. four or five games. Or, or whatever. So no, I would, I'm, my confidence is still rather low on them making the playoffs. Um, unless what you've seen the last two games, they can carry it over somehow. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, unless we wear our black jerseys all the way out. Um, I don't think, <laughs> I don't them. think, I don't think we're going to make, off. yeah, I don't think we're going to make the playoffs, but I definitely, you know, like I've always said, we're just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and, and we'll be in the picture. Um, it, it's interesting to see that number jump from 12 to 23 and, that definitely puts a little bit more positive uh, light on our playoff situation. And I know that our remaining schedule uh, is one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, in terms of percentage-wise left. So that that's favorable in, in our direction as well. So I don't want to make the playoffs uh, because, like you said, Brian, it's just going to be two home games and then and then we're done. But uh, I definitely think that we're going to be in the picture come, come April. Um, yeah, I— I agree, Richie. I think this team's going to be in the picture. I think they're going to whittle it down to a few games. Um, I mean, just like a quick glance, you, you talk about this 10-team tankathon that is going to be epic <laughs> as, as this season ends here. I mean, there's a lot of these teams left on the Hornets' schedule. One's coming next Tuesday. Let's just go down it real quick. Chicago, one. Brooklyn, again, two. Well, you can't count Brooklyn because they don't yeah, have their pick. But right. Phoenix is two. At Atlanta, there's three. New York, they've worked their way in there. That's four. Um, Memphis, five. Dallas, six. New York, again, seven. Uh, Chicago, again, that's eight. Orlando, that's nine. So you, you just talk about those games right there. It's it's hard to imagine Charlotte, a team that's going to be working real hard, losing any of those basketball games. Um, so there's nine wins right there. And then, really, there's no 
There's no road trip. There's no West Coast road trip left on the schedule. Um, the hardest game on the road, I, you got to go to Philly twice, actually. Uh, the hardest stretch is coming up starting next Wednesday. You go to Boston. The next Friday, you go to Philly. The next Sunday, you go to Toronto. That's the toughest stretch left on the Hornets' schedule. The next road trip they have includes Atlanta, New York, the Knicks, uh, Philly, and Brooklyn. So you think you can get three of those four. And then all the games I just mentioned with all the Tankathon teams, like there, there is a world in which the Hornets are really actually still alive. And the fact that they're playing their best basketball uh, right now is encouraging. But you know, I think these next five are really important. Why? Because, again, the toughest stretch for the Hornets is coming up starting next Wednesday at Boston, at Philly, at Toronto. But before that stretch, you've got uh, at home tomorrow afternoon, you've got Detroit, and then Tuesday you have Chicago at home. You've got to have both of those. Uh, I think if you get both of those, I think it's time to start <laughs> time to start putting ourselves through this miserable situation we do uh, seemingly every year uh, where we're chasing our tails. But, you know, look, g- give the team credit, right? Like we knew all along they were not going to quit on the season. They were not going to do the thing they probably should do, which is getting this 10 team hunt to get a, a better pick. They were going to let Steve Clifford do his thing, you know, co- coach his troops, get him to play harder and pull out the best of, uh, of what he can as a coach. And, and he appears to be doing that yet again as the Hornets try to dig out of this hole. But, you know, give them a little credit. You know, they're not quitting and yeah. there is something to. There, there's something to that. I, I know what conventional wisdom says in terms of tanking and all that, but you know, a lot of teams in the league wouldn't do what the Hornets are doing. And the fact that they're still competing, the bench is into it. Everybody cares. Like it does make it kind of fun to watch. There are. Yeah. So the Hornets have 23 games left over the next six to seven weeks. Uh, 13 are on the road, 10 and 10 at home, but sort of like Spencer, you said, they don't, the, fur, the furthest they have to go West is Dallas. Um, they basically don't have to, get outside the central time zone between now and the end of the regular season. Um, the Hornets only have three back-to-back games left on the schedule and they'll be at a rest disadvantage only three times over the remaining 23 games too. So yeah, that, that part of that is baked into the cake of a relatively favorable schedule over the next, you know, almost two months as the season's crazy. That there's only, you know, six, you know, 20, whatever games left six, seven weeks left, uh, season flew by, I guess. But, um, yeah, we'll see Spencer. You said this a few weeks ago too. the, the only way you were going to get the Hornets to sort of, you know, sneak tank or whatever is if you got Steve Clifford and Kemba Walker on a plane and flew them out of the country <laughs> so there was, there, until then they're going to show up and they're keep winning 40 to 50% of the time. Like that, that's just, that's those t- Kemba's that good. And Clifford's that good of a coach and the team plays that hard when he's, when he's running the show too. So, um, I guess the next few weeks will be interesting. Um, you know, they probably shouldn't do what they're doing. Um, in fact, it goes against what is now conventional wisdom in the NBA, but, um, this, this is the, this is the treadmill and the Hornets are, um, the Hornets are the founders uh, of the treadmill. Yeah, they are. They they built it, built it, and they just crank the volume up, or not the volume, the the miles per hour up (laughs) on the uh, on the treadmill. Maybe they crank the volume up on the music they're listening to, and they don't unplug uh, it. They don't turn it off. Yep. Nope. Nope. No sir. No sir. Um, That's where we're at. (laughs) So that's where we're at, and again, I mean, hey, look, like (laughs) at least we have something to cheer for for the rest of the season, right? Like. I mean, whatever. We're trying to find some silver lining here, but win away, boys. All right, let's 
look ahead to this June draft real quickly. I mean, we just literally want to throw some names out there. We don't have to go into any kind of deep analysis just to get some names in earbuds uh, and get people watching as the NCAA tournament and conference tournaments get ready to pop up on your TV screen. Brian, let's start with you. Give us three names that interest you as potential uh, future Hornets. And, and let's pretend, you know, like the Hornets are going to pick between that 10 and 14 area in the lottery. Give us three names that you're interested in. Yeah, right now, um, this was before last night, the, currently the Hornets are given a 91% chance of the 11th pick. Uh, yesterday, they had about an 88% chance of the uh, the 10th pick. Uh, they would probably need to get closer to the 10 line to get this guy that I'm interested in. Uh, he's a guy that I've covered a lot this season at Duke, uh, Wendell Carter, um, who is a really, is a, is a special player. Um, and a guy that's flashed a little bit of a shooting stroke, uh, plus 70% from the free throw line shooting has an effective field goal rate on catch and shoots over 77% on a relatively lower number of attempts, but, um, an incredible offensive rebounder. Don't totally know what his position is at the next level. We can get into that a little bit more. The shooting is, um, is interesting because it makes it seem like he could maybe play the four or the five if he lost got in, got in a little bit better shape. He's a great post defender, knows how to use his feet. Um, exceptional using the baseline as like an extra defender. I mean, really he checks it in terms of the, the synergy statistics. He is one of the best post defenders in the entire country. Um, and maybe the boat, the best in the ACC outside of, um, your boys, Isaiah Wilkins and stuff at, uh, at Virginia. I mean, he's as good as those guys have been as, at defending post-ups. And, um, I mean, now they're playing zone. So it's a little bit different at, at Duke, but I, I like Wendell Carter a lot. He can pass to, <clears throat> I covered the game against Louisville this week and uh, six assists. And some of them were, were, were really nice inside out, out of the post. Um, he hit Marquis Bolden for a dunk off a short, like a pick and roll. And at the help defender came up and on the short roll, he threw it over the top to Bolden for a slam. And he didn't get the assist on this other one, but there was another possession where Louisville iced the pick and roll with, you know, I think it was Allen or Deval. I'm pretty sure it was Allen and, Carter caught the ball in the middle, dribbled a couple times and found the weak side shooter, just like an NBA level move on the go off the bounce. Uh, Jack white missed the corner three. Um, look, I know Carter's not a perfect prospect. He's got some holes, but if you could get a guy like this at 10, um, and again, he's probably projected closer to the seven or eight range, but, um, you never know what could happen. And, um, I, I just think he's a, a really good player. That's been overshadowed a little bit this year. Um, because he's been playing alongside Marvin Bagley, but I think he's a, he's a really special player. And, and since I went kind of long on him, I'll just throw out the, uh, the, the Bridges brothers, Miles and, uh, Michael, at, at Novus, two of the other guys that Miles Bridges, is the guy we talked about around this time a year ago. Um, uh, I know reviews are mixed on him too, but look, I mean, the, the prospects, the Hornets are targeting in this range, this, this 10 to eight, you know, eight to 10 to 14 range. I mean, all these guys are going to have some sort of hole as a prospect. So no, no one's going to be perfect, but, uh, I'm a big Wendell Carter fan. Um, wow. Those were literally the exact three names yeah. I was going to throw out. Uh, Carter would kind of be like my third, because I agree with you. I think he's probably going to go a little before the 10 to 14 range, but, um, I think a guy like miles bridges also probably a climber. I think Michigan state's going to make a run here in the, in March, uh, Mikel bridges, I guess that's how you say his first name. Mikel Bridges at Villanova. That's the most intriguing player to me. I watch him and I'm not sure how much I love him at this point. He's still very raw. He's more raw offensively to me than he should be at this point. 
um, as he is a junior. Is that correct, junior, Brian? Yeah, he's a third-year guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a junior. I, I feel like he should be a little farther along the way. But I mean, I don't get totally scared away by that. You talk about a wing who's I think measures about six eight. Um, real versatile player, especially defensively. And look, the Hornets have got to answer some questions on the wing, uh, especially at the, the four positions, uh, small four, power four. They need a guy that can toggle between those two positions and a lot of different lineups. I love Bridges, Mikel Bridges, that is from Nova. I love his potential. Again, I think he has a ways to go with his development, especially offensively, but, but the guy could be a super special player. Um, the other guy that I want to just bring up briefly, it wasn't mentioned because we had the same three names. I'll, I'll throw out another one, BG, and that is Kevin Knox from Kentucky. Uh, you know, a guy who defensively, you know, lateral quickness, how committed he is defensively. I can't get my arms wrapped around that, but you want to talk about a guy that could shoot the lights out of the gym at six, nine, um, and just immediately adds a dynamic offensively. I think it's a guy like that. I mean, we're not, I'm not describing a Frank Kaminsky 2.0. I mean, Knox can do stuff defensively. He can get dirty um, and and do the nitty gritty stuff. But as of now, he is certainly more offensively uh, inclined as a player and and farther down the road that way. But that's the other name I would keep in mind for the Hornets. DeAndre Hunter, one more real quick. UVA probably doesn't, probably doesn't come out this year, but if he, if he continues to play this way, Holy crap. You want to talk about a guy who's going to be impact defender in the NBA one day. And you know, if he just, if he develops any kind of offensive game, like, like look out, like in the OG Ananobi kind of mold. That's a a perfect comparison for him too. perfect. Yeah. A little shorter than Ananobi, but, but similar player. uh, And he is gaining some serious steam right now um, in the draft. So don't think he comes out again this year, but if he does look, I'm not, nothing's off the table with Hunter right now. I, I think he could climb into the lottery this year just because you have these guys every single year. They come out of nowhere, have a monster season, are built like, you know, government projects like like DeAndre yeah. Hunter is and, and can have offensive skills. Like the guy is a special player and he is he's built like a freaking <laughs> like war general. It's, it's yeah, unbelievable. He's got, he's got an NBA body. He's a good he's a good screen setter, which is important in Virginia's offense. And in that in the game against Duke and Durham this year, I mean, he stared down the barrel a few times and and did a great job keeping Marvin back, got in his stance, and and I mean, I thought he this is unbelievable. For I, his I, thought, I, I thought he played badly to a draw when they went head to head in Durham this year, which again, I mean, for a front court prospect, that's about as good of a compliment as you can get. I think he's the ACC Sixth Man of the Year. And, um, I mean, if not for guys like Bagley and Carter, he'd be the ACC rookie of the year too, uh, as a red shirt guy for the Cavaliers. He's been without a doubt, in my opinion, the best reserve in the ACC. Um, he's starter level. I mean, he's, I mean, he might be Virginia's best player, but he, but, uh, but just sort of in what, what the team needs, he comes off the bench, but he is, he's a, if he's not, a, if he doesn't come out this year, he's the first round pick in 2019, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, zero, zero doubt about that. Um, all right, good stuff. Yeah, so that gives you guys some names. Hey, to I got check a name. Out. I got a yeah. name. Okay, because yeah, yeah. I don't watch college basketball, and I, and I I hate that Draft Express is is uh, no longer right. Like it's it's not it's not yeah. up and running. Like because it is didn't it, ESPN. That ESPN. Yeah, now. yeah but they yeah, still yeah. do it. I they wish they the right. did. I wish they just gave. I wish they gave uh, Schmitz his own vertical there, yeah. you know, like instead yeah. it, it's just, it's just been swallowed up in ESPN. It's probably insider too, right? Coverage. 
Yeah, a lot yeah. of yeah. I mean, a lot of it anyway. Is. Yeah, a lot of it is. And by the way, he's been he's been high on Hunter recently too. Just FYI, uh, just a player because I, I, I you know, obviously I don't watch college basketball to the extent that you guys do, but I like to find the diamond in the rough type of prospects. And this guy might be someone that's in projected to the lower lower end of the first round. But Troy Brown Jr. out of Oregon, uh, he's six seven, lanky. Uh, he does a lot of things well. Um, passes the ball, does well with the ball in his hands, rebounds the ball, defends multiple positions. Uh, the one issue that kind of I've seen on him uh, doesn't shoot the ball too consistently well. It's not like his shot's broken by any means, but uh, he definitely needs to extend his range. But he, he like a lot of players out of Oregon, uh, is kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of player. He can do a lot of things well. Uh, the shooting just needs to improve, and if it does, he will be a solid a solid player in the NBA, and, and he's young as well. He's just a freshman, so we'll see how Oregon does uh, kind of moving forward throughout the rest of the year. It's it that's a great name, Richie. I actually got to see him play. I'd stayed up late last last Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday and watched UCLA and Oregon and he's super skilled. Really skilled, very versatile player. Comes from a system that emphasizes speeding it up and, and I don't want to say de de emphasizes defense, but there's a lot of players on that team that choose to to sit on that end. Uh, but he's one of the guys that gets after it on that end. So uh, another very interesting name. We'll see how high he can climb. Um, come June. All right, let's end this episode with a fun little game here. Brian came up with this before the show and, and I thought, man, this is great. Let's do this. So we're just hypothetically speaking, if the Hornets make the playoffs as the eight seed, what, if anything of yours, would you be willing to wager on the Hornets getting two games, three games, or the entire series from, we'll say, as it sits right now, Toronto. So Brian, your, your invention here, so I'll start with you. What are you willing to wager on the Hornets getting anything against Toronto? I'm, I'm I, not a lot because my, my confidence is low. I'm willing to wager my, I'm just sort of looking around my room here. I'm willing to wager my PS3 on the Hornets getting two games from the Toronto Raptors in a first round playoff series. I'm, you know, the Raptors, maybe, maybe this is a new Toronto Raptors team as uh, they've, they've played faster and they're, they're shooting more threes this year and passing it a little more, a little bit better too, um, higher in assist rate and stuff like that. So maybe, you know, we've seen the crunch time they've sort of reverted back to 2014 through 2016, 2017 Raptors basketball, a lot of ISO, a lot of DeMar DeRozan mid range shots, a lot of Kyle, you know, Kyle Lowry has trouble in the postseason. So, Maybe the Hornets could get a game or two, but my confidence is low. But yeah, I'm going to go. I'll bet my PS3 that I only play whenever I want to play instead of late 2010 football or whatever. I'm willing to wager the Hornets get two games on the Raptors, and I'm betting my PS3 and my roommate's bike that's staring right in front of me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go PS3 and a a, a used bicycle for two games. Uh, What about you guys? There's a little bit of confidence there, BG. All right, so yeah. you're putting something on the line here. All right, Richie, what do you got? Yeah. No, I mean, I got nothing of value. I, I, I am not willing to wager anything <laughs> but like a box of Kleenex if there we get two games. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm more willing to bet my PS4, Brian, that we get swept or lose in five uh, games. That That's what okay. I would wager. So I, it's yeah. hard for me to have any confidence as an eight seed winning a game Maybe one, maybe one, yeah. but definitely not two. Uh, the Raptors are awesome too, man. I mean, they, they might, if in a hypothetical one, eight first round series, of the Hornets, I mean, they might just beat 
Charlotte. They might sweep Charlotte and beat them by 25 points every, every game. Too. Yeah, the Hornets have not matched up well with Toronto <laughs> this year. Um, yeah, and all, Brian, you bring up a great point. It depends on how Toronto plays come postseason versus how they played in the regular season. Uh, ISO heavy Toronto has not been good Toronto in the postseason uh, in the past. All right, so what I'm willing to bet that the Hornets get one game from Toronto uh, in the playoffs would be my OptiFlow uh, trusty black pen that, that really, you know, this, this OptiFlow pen is, is a key ingredient to my note taking to get ready for BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, so, you know, I've, you guys might not value this OptiFlow pen, but I certainly do. So I'm going to put this on the line. The Hornets get one game against the Toronto Raptors in round one of the NBA playoffs. Like that, I'm rocking a Sullivan Steakhouse. Uh, it's a restaurant here in Raleigh. Okay, that, that's, that's an important part of my note taking and my preparation for the Sullivan podcast. Steakhouse. Okay, Brian, let's we'll see how you roll here. You got a little little side gig if you're going if to they, Sullivan Steakhouse. If they want to, uh, if they want to, you know, throw us uh, throw us some food or some money, that would be. I'm all yeah. for Sullivan's. <laughs> you know, until then, I'm I'm willing to give them some free advertising. But uh, but yeah, with you know, with Easter dinner, Easter brunch coming up. Look, at Sullivan Steakhouse wants to. Have us give him a little promotion. I'm, uh, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be sell my soul a little bit there. <laughs> we might have to uh, see if Sullivan Steakhouse has a Twitter handle and give him a little shout out, letting <laughs> them know they got some free advertising in this episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, hey, I like it. We just backed a backdoor our way and do a little free ad. Okay, exactly. Um, all right, guys. Well, look, great episode. As usual, we've gone way too long, but hey, that's what we do here on BuzzBeat Radio. We're, we're sitting around talking basketball. You listen to one of our episodes, just get comfortable. It's not something to t- take in on Monday morning over coffee. Uh, make sure you have an hour plus set aside. Uh, good stuff, as always. Very fun. Hornets winner three straight. They are not dead yet. They're back in action tomorrow afternoon. Uh, well, I guess, uh, Richie, our guys won't hear this and listeners won't hear this till Monday. So uh, when you listen to this episode, the Hornets will hopefully be 27 and 33. Um, and then they will next be in action Tuesday at home against Chicago. So, again, these these two home games coming up very, very important before they go on the road three straight. All right. Very good. Don't forget. We're baller radio network check out almightyballer.com uh, for lots of other great podcasts and coverage of the nba uh, and don't forget about our good friends at sportschannel8.com and they are at sportschannel8 on twitter give them a follow check out the website all great stuff north carolina sports wise uh, for myself that's richie that's brian we'll see you guys next time This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.